Jeremy Long's story starts with a family that didn't know how to validate or love him. He intentionally mimicked one of the characters in Queer as Folk when he was only 16. An addiction to drugs and all the chaos that went along with it landed Jeremy in rehab, not once, but twice, before he had his transformational moment. Jeremy finally told himself the truth. When we, re- when we remove the blockade, the universe can work its magic in our life. Now, in his upper 30s, Jeremy talks about his life of passion, purpose, community, and above all, self-love. If you ever feel like you aren't enough, you'll want to listen to this one. Jeremy is a coach, queer facilitator, and founder of the Conscious Queer Community. Hello, Jeremy Long, and welcome to the Authentic Gay Man podcast. It's good to see you, and I'm glad to have you here today. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be here. It's good to see your face. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, to tell the listeners how we know each other, you listened to the podcast, found it some way or another, listened, and went to my website and clicked a link and uh, filled out a form saying you wanted to be a guest, and that's how we connected. So aside from a brief Zoom call a couple of weeks ago, Jeremy and I really don't know each other. So today is going to be our opportunity to get to know each other as you guys get to know him as well. So... um Before we jump into our main topic, though, I would like to ask, oh, and I also want to add that uh, for the listeners, that Jeremy is a coach, he is a queer facilitator, and he is founder of the Conscious Queer Community. And he, um, and I have a lot in common, actually, we're doing a lot of similar work with the GBT community. And so I'm just glad to have him here. Now, he has agreed today to come on board, not so much as the coach, but uh, wearing his personal hat today, and he's going to share some of his personal story with us. So before we jump into that, though, um, tell me, how would you define what it means to be an authentic gay man? Ooh, that's such a big question. And I, yeah, I just appreciate everything you've even said so far. Um, just the ability to just know yourself and feel confident enough to show yourself. Maybe that's, as, what if that's as simple as it needs to be? I love that. And I yeah. love the simplicity of it. You know, I, I've, every time I ask that question, I get a completely different answer. And yet every single answer I've gotten has been absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's been Absolutely amazing. So, all right. Perfect. I love what you said and the simplicity of it. (laughs) Now for the big kahuna. What has been your biggest challenge in life that you have gotten through or are continuing to work through? Yeah, that's also a big question. I mean, just my journey has just been a bit of a roller coaster, I would say. And my biggest, I guess, hurdle has been myself, <laughs> learning to overcome my own barriers that I, I set in the way. Uh, and I guess those are, you know, have been placed there by some of my experiences in my younger years, but it's just about my self-esteem, my self-worth. I guess my journey and just learning to discover and embrace and celebrate who I am has been kind of painful, kind of challenging, 
Um, but also it's given me my biggest sense of purpose now, because that's what I also want to offer other people is anyone that's been in a tough spot or doesn't know how to be themselves and is feels, you know, afraid to be brave enough to show themselves to others. I guess that's, it's actually given me the deepest sense of purpose. Um, but some of the highlights on the challenges um, have been, yeah, just not believing in myself for most of my life, not feeling like I had a sense of a calling or a purpose, um, some self-medicating in some pretty intense addiction years in my past. And I guess just being willing to step out of my comfort zone and believe that I'm capable of something bigger. That's probably another huge hurdle that I've overcome. I just didn't want to try anything. I was just terrified of um, getting it wrong and making a decision that could lead me somewhere bad. And therefore I made no decisions. (laughs) And that was also a hurdle that I've had to overcome. So I probably feel like there's multiple challenges. Uh, My current challenge is getting out of my own way when it comes to making sure that people know this work is available, like doing this deep inner work that you and I have talked about and that we're, you know, we're on that life path is, is doing this deep inner work and taking responsibility. Um, and now it's just making sure that I know or that I put myself out there to let people know that, hey, you can do this too. It doesn't have to be as hard and you don't have to do it alone. That's probably my biggest message to people right now. So, Jeremy, can you recall any specific event in your childhood or at an early time in your life that you think set those hurdles up, those challenges up? Oh, yeah, there's definitely a couple of them. I mean, yeah, just a few uh, are growing up in a pretty small country town in interior British Columbia, Canada. So, sort of like a semi-arid desert, um, little small town that had a lot of, just not very progressive. And so, you know, just that element of learning how to hide from such an early age as all, all queer people, like sort of begin in a bit of trauma, like learning to hide and become a chameleon and not be ourselves. So that's one. Um, family with not a lot of money, broken family and divorce and some pretty poor uh, communication skills modeling. So that also, um, I didn't know how to cope. I was a person that was like highly sensitive and highly emotional and people didn't know how to be with me or teach me how to be with myself. And so that also led to a lot of emotional pain and not literally just not knowing how to cope. And (laughs) that's probably uh, one of the, also one of the number one things that I've learned or am continually in the process of learning is how to just be okay with myself being that resilient emotional self so yeah those are a couple of highlights um and then when what you're describing may be a common thing in our community you're i've already had some conversations today and i'm a highly sensitive person Mm -hmm. hsp sounds like you are i've talked to two other people today that are both hsps and and i know for me i didn't I didn't figure that out until about maybe five years ago. So I've lived most of my life not knowing. I mean, I knew I was different. But when I finally learned about HSP and what it is, it connected all the dots for me. Was that true for you? Like all of a sudden it was like, oh, my God, for the first time in my life, I make sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was a game changer. Even just that, like, yes, the the sensitive part, but even just being an emotional human, 
and learning to accept that, you know, and to learn to identify my emotions, because I think I used to identify as my emotions and not just a person with emotions, if that makes sense. Like I'm sad, therefore I'm just a sad person instead of I'm a human who's experiencing sadness right now. I guess that just speaks to learning how to have that emotional awareness and to not label emotions as good or bad. Cause I think that <laughs> there were, there were heavier emotions for a long time and I felt like they were bad and therefore I was bad. And maybe you're right. I think that does speak to a regular queer story that we do hear and, and allowing ourselves to just be someone who has emotions is important. Can you unpack some of the messages that you got at that early time in life that might have driven some about what you're talking about? Mm, yeah. So I think from a British background on my dad's side, um, just keeping that firm upper lip, like we don't show emotions, we don't show weakness. That was from my dad's side. And, and my mom was a little bit angry sometimes at the cards that had been dealt and so she didn't have the ability to be there for me and my emotions. So when I was emotional or crying, you know, the message was, you know, cut it out or I'll give you something to cry about. And so it was just that emotions weren't okay. That kind of feeling upset wasn't okay. There wasn't, there wasn't room to feel my emotions. It wasn't allowed. And so like trying to keep them all in was quite painful. Well, and, and when so you're an emotional person and you can't, you know, you're, you're led to believe that's not okay. That's very invalidating. Yeah. Yeah. Actually knowing what I know about validation now, I really appreciate the way that you put that because, um, and I didn't, I don't look back and I, I don't feel like my emotions or even just my experience was really validated, which sucks. <laughs> it was really painful. It really does suck. I agree completely. You know, I, I kind of look back in my own life and certainly hear this with the many men that I have conversation with how, mm -hmm. you know, as gay men, in order to so survive, we had to live in the shadows. We mm -hmm. had to make ourselves as invisible as we could. And that becomes hardwired in our brain. We're, we're hardwired to hide. We're hardwired to be in the shadows. We're, we're hardwired to make ourselves invisible. And therefore, most of us are very, very hungry to be seen and to be heard. And I would that, add, I would add to be loved just to feel loved and safe because I, I don't know about you, but that's what I didn't feel. Whoever I was, it wasn't safe to be that person being emotional, being sensitive, you know, being scared. I wasn't able to be that and not, not feeling safe and loved was probably the most painful part of that experience. And do you think that not feeling loved, did that come mostly from your parents or was it just in general? Mm. I think the biggest programming of that story did come from my parents. And, and I also, I say that knowing that now I'm in this place where I've, you know, I've worked on it. I've done some forgiving and I've done some <laughs> adult taking care of myself where that little kid inside me that didn't have what he needed. Now I can give it to me. 
Um, so I, I say it because I, I forgive them in a sense, but yes, I feel like their modeling is what led me to not feeling that love that I, I think I needed that validation that I needed. Well, and, and you can forgive and that's very, very valid, but even when we forgive, it doesn't necessarily erase the damage that was done. No, I've spent a lot of time, um, working on how I show up in my intimate relationships and and learning about attachment style. And I remember when I went through this phase of understanding, because I have an anxious attachment style, when I was understanding how that came about, I was so angry at my parents, you know, because of of their their modeling and and how how that programming took place. And uh, I'm not there anymore because it's, you know, we're responsible for ourselves. But but yes, you're right. It doesn't it doesn't change the fact that it happened, and and there's this influence of you know lack and lack of of connection and safety that does it is traumatizing. It is something that impacted me and and continues to be the work that I focus on, and I'm happy about it because I'm aware of it now. But yes, it doesn't take it away. So. Yeah, I I personally believe that we certainly learn how to manage our trauma. Mm. I don't know that we ever just get free of it. I I mean, there's been some things in my life that I feel somewhat free of, but then every once in a while, something comes up that kind of triggers some of it. I don't, I don't, you know, and I've been on the planet for a while. I don't know whether we ever actually get free of that. We we can forgive, but do we ever forget? Probably not. It still yeah. has an impact. And and I can look back in some of my, and you, you, I, I know that you're probably going to identify with this because you've given some little hints. I, I know for me that the there was a point where I became grateful mm. what I had experienced. I wouldn't want to relive it for a minute. I would, would never want to relive it. But I wouldn't be the man that I am today if I hadn't been through those those experiences. And that's even to speak to, you know, when we look back at the times we're most proud of, well, I'll speak for myself. It's always the times that I overcame some intense struggle with others or with myself. And so, yes, it it actually, I'm I'm happy for the journey because we all have something that we're working on or some something that triggers us. So yeah, I don't regret it or wish to wish it didn't happen. It made me who I am, regardless of how painful it has been. <laughs> well, and you you referred to intense struggle. Mm-hmm. I would I, if you if you're up for it, I would love for you to unpack a little bit of that for us. Take us into that where we can see part of your your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not meant as a criticism at all, but you're you're speaking in a little bit of generality, gener- generalities, and I'd I'd like yeah. to get you into a little more specific something that we can sink our teeth into. Yeah, I do appreciate that. Even just you know letting me know how I've been showing up. Uh, as sometimes I have resistance to going back into some of it, and I think that that's a protection thing that I do now. Um, but. I'm happy to offer, yeah, some of the the struggle. Um, I'm going to take two seconds to decide which part of the struggle should I share. Um, I would say that the the piece that was the most um, traumatic was because of that childhood, 
And because of the relationships that I was having as a teenager, I just, I just dove off the deep end into um, the addiction and to the party scene. I actually got, I got pulled in sort of to this escape uh, feeling that that was probably one of the biggest intense struggles. So, you know, I was 16 and I was living in, you know, outside of Vancouver in Canada. And I, I desperately wanted that, that love. I thought if I had a good love that I was going to be fulfilled and happy and safe and all the things I didn't feel like I had prior. And so I had been watching Queer as Folk. And of course, uh, Queer as Folk, I don't know if you've watched it, but the, the young guy, Justin. Every episode. Every episode. I've seen it multiple times. And I, and I wanted to live Justin's life. And, you know, I really did because it came out, the British version came out when I was six, 15. So when I was 16, the American version came out and I, yeah, I literally pulled a Justin. Like I went down to the, the city and I was 16 and I, I met some 36 year old man and, you know, had like, he swept me up and gave me that attention that I was longing for. And he, I felt safe and he, you know, it was exciting but it was also, I look back now and that was not a good idea. <laughs> and, and it was, it was fun, but then that, that fun turned into fun with problems because, you know, he introduced me to some drugs and to some of the party scene. And then at 17 years old, I'm finding myself in after hours and doing, you know, party drugs. And by the time I'm 19, I'm, you know, I'm in recovery because it was so bad, because I, I didn't have any sense of reality anymore. So it was really, it was really scary to go down that deep uh, at such a young age. So that, that's definitely one of the intense struggles, like being in, in rehab at 20 years old, surrounded by people in their 50s, um, thinking, how did I get here, you know? And so that was... <laughs> Looking back, that's definitely um, one of the biggest parts of it. Well, I, you know, you were you were seeking for something you didn't have. It sounds like, and you were also trying to escape from something you did have, which mm-hmm. was, you know, not a not a pleasant thing. Yeah, and I think that you know, working, having since worked in a, a nonprofit and addictions and you know support services which I went to because I wanted to figure out, you know, how someone like me would end up where I ended up. So it actually gave me that purpose going forward. But looking, you know, looking at my past now, yeah, it makes total sense that that's how my life went. It makes total sense that that's how I was self-medicating and coping and looking for a community of people. It makes total sense that I fell into that world looking for that acceptance because you know what, in, in the party world, in the bar, in the nightclub, you could just be whoever you were going to be. And, and it was kind of safe in a weird way because you weren't being, a, no one was going to drive by you on the street yelling faggot, um, you know, and me being afraid that someone was going to throw a Slurpee in my face because that also happened when I was young. So it, it is this weird form of safety and acceptance. And a lot of people I see get stuck in that and don't continue to evolve past it. Well, it's a form of community and we're all hungry for community. 
bury that. It may not be the healthy community, but it's still, it's connection. Even if it's very superficial connection, I, I you know, everything I read that I, I don't have any history with addiction, but I've studied it quite a bit just out of curiosity. And mm-hmm. it always feels like it comes back to a lack of connection. Mm-hmm. But it's the thing that drives people the most to to abuse substances or to develop an addiction. Not all addictions have to do with substances. You can be addicted to all kinds of non-substance things. But it it seems like there's such a, a like a common denominator, which is lack of connection. Mm-hmm. That aloneness, that lack of validation yeah and that does motivate us to seek connection in whatever community you know that is available to us and and there were parts of that that were actually really fun and really like vibrant and exciting and lovely but it just it didn't take me where I wanted to go and I will say this that I that recovery in my 20s that I spoke about, like, I didn't actually last. Um, I was sobered again until I was 26. And then I dove back into the party scene, because I I wanted to have that connection, that community, I had a sober community, but I wanted to be seen as normal, I wanted to have gay community, and I wanted to um, feel a part of something bigger and more exciting. And maybe it was about, you know, sexuality and and I don't know just I was seeking I was longing and so I fell back into it well I think you just said a key word and that's excitement I mean (laughs) I, I would imagine that that world has an element of excitement that would be hard to hard to reproduce in other communities and actually, even you saying that now, it speaks to something I've that's been uncovered more recently in therapy. <laughs> uh, it's that I was so used to chaos. And so calm and serene actually didn't interest me. It actually seemed like something might be wrong or missing or boring. And, and even now, you know, I'm in my late 30s now, figuring out that, oh, actually, that, that is what I need now. I need calm. Because I've been attracted to chaotic people and chaotic relationships and chaotic communities. Um, well, that's a that's a form of addiction in and of itself. It was. I mean, I've, I've known many people that are literally addicted to drama. Yeah. And if there's not drama going on in their life, they they don't feel like they have a life. Yeah. And I see that. And I see that in. I see that in my recovery community that we we are those people that are addicted to that sometimes. And I will own that I have been that and that even in my in my dating, that I have looked back at the people that I've dated and, and they were just big, eccentric and sometimes really intense personalities. And now I realize that that yeah, that's connected to that craving for chaos and and not knowing that I deserved something safer and calmer. And I think that speaks to the healthier we become, the healthier we attract. I feel like that's a pretty key thing that I'm living these days. When when you were going through that, was there, 
was it like an adrenaline rush was when you were in that that crowd with the chaos mm-hmm. and and the excitement and and all of the drama or however you want to word it what did that what did that produce internally i mean you've described that you know it, you didn't it didn't feel like exciting or it didn't mm-hmm. it, it just wasn't very alluring to not have that level of chaos but when you were in that all that chaos what was what was what did it feel like in here what was happening inside of you i think it's that ultimate dopamine hit it's just like it's wow it's exciting it feels good you know it's just overwhelming even and yeah it 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 was very attractive to be you know having newness all the time and and yeah sometimes that drama actually it also was a dopamine hit you know it was something something pops up and it's intense i think i've as an addict maybe recovering it it's also that it's connected to a need for that dopamine to feel good you know or just to feel period because that's not something that i've always felt uh, i had a handle on yeah well that makes sense you know i like i said i don't have any personal history but uh, and you can share with me your experience but when you're in the throes of addiction are you able to really feel like or or does it somehow numb you out or um yeah i think it speaks to for some of us because we're highly sensitive it, it's a way to not be so overwhelmed by all the feelings and all the thoughts because as someone in recovery i also have realized that i've i've been someone that's you know experiences anxiety and ruminating and kind of obsessing on things and situations and people and i think sometimes the drinking and some of the partying was a release from that <laughs> yeah you make a really really valid point jeremy uh because i do think i mean i as an hsp myself mm-hmm. um, i feel everything so deeply i mean yeah everything uh you know i i've been teased by family members and friends throughout my life not in a in an ugly way mm-hmm. but you know i i'm i was always the one that could could cry during a coca-cola reach out and touch somebody commercial i'm dating myself now with that one but mm-hmm. um you know i i'm i'm highly sensitive but i'm also highly emotional and I don't know mm. if those go hand in hand or whether they're separate, but I definitely am both. But I, 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 you know, I said to the guys I was talking to earlier, I have felt my feelings so intensely all of my life mm. that I can't wrap my mind around when somebody says, I don't really know what a feeling is, or I don't know what I'm feeling. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, I, I can't even quite get that because I've never experienced anything that's even remotely like that. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Cause I, I shared your experience, sensitive and emotional. And I, I always tell people I swim in the deep end uh, and yeah. I'm happy, and I'm happy to swim there now. I didn't used to be, it was overwhelming and I felt, you know, like I was consumed by it, but I, I do exactly get, the same phrase. I sleep, I sw- swim in the deep end. Yeah. Yeah. And I do get sort of puzzled by people that, 
um, are less emotional. And it's interesting actually to be around the, and as a coach, I do, I do coach people and I'm, and I actually like working with, with people that are, are more on the rational side than the emotional side, because it allows me an opportunity to understand better where they're coming from and also to help, you know, people tap into their emotions. Um, but it is, it's fascinating. And as, I don't know if this is an experience you have, but I tend to attract the opposite of me in my dating. And so like my, my partner is, is more on the rational side and I'm more on the emotional side. And I, I feel like I get to learn a lot by being in, in relationship about myself. Well, and sometimes being with somebody that's different than we are creates a sense of a balance. We complement each other. <laughs> Unless it's yeah. too extreme, you know, I mean, there needs to be some common ground somewhere, but having differences, I, I, I can see where that would be a healthy and positive thing. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. And, and you're right, like two extreme differences can be challenging to meet on the same page. But I giggled a second ago because I, I can't imagine both of us being the highly emotional <laughs> Because I just feel like it would be it would be too much to handle. So I really actually appreciate the opposite in my partner. Because if if he was also like me, I feel like we would just be in a puddle all the time. <laughs> I don't know that I ever quite thought of it like that. But yes, yeah, back on my relationships, um, I've had a similar experience. It's been mm-hmm. more rational, less emotional men and i mm-hmm. you know i guess that's just like anything else like you know the damsel in distress needs the knight in shining armor just as much as the knight in shining armor needs the damsel in distress you you have to you know i've i've, I've heard you know that for every codependent there is a narcissist mm-hmm. uh, we you know there's there's some truth to that that draw that brings you together. There's got to be a reason to be together. Mm. So you are on the other side of addiction. I take it now. I am now. Yeah. Yeah. So what were you able to do? What, what finally came through for you that enabled you to free yourself of that? Well, there were the addiction part. it, It didn't, nothing huge happened to be honest i just was waking up in the same cycle every week you know for a couple of years and then i just realized just on one every other monday morning where i was feeling shame about my behavior i just looked at myself and i thought this is it <laughs> it's just going to stay this way and nothing peculiar or terrible happened to wake me up to the fact that you know, it wasn't working, but I just, I just realized that it wasn't working. My way wasn't working. And so that was the beginning of my second sort of uh, chapter in recovery. Um, but I would say there's more to it this time. Because that this version of my recovery is much different than the first time in my 20s. And so in that I, I realized that like, so I was recovering and I was, you know, sober but I wasn't fulfilled and I knew that there was still something missing and I, I didn't know what that was. I didn't feel like I had a calling. I didn't know where I was supposed to be in my life. And that was actually very painful. And I found myself stuck in jobs that I didn't like 
And something wasn't, it wasn't better. I wasn't better. I wasn't healed yet. Just because I got sober, it didn't mean that I was better. And so I knew that I had more work to do. And I, I went on a trip uh, overseas. I called it my version of eat gay love. And I was lost and overcoming a breakup. <laughs> and, and I just felt like something needed to change in me. And when I came back, I don't know if I was just ready in my moment in my life, but I, I was in so much pain. And I, and again, kind of speaking to, I was looking at how I was showing up and, you know, my jobs that I wasn't fulfilled in my relationships that I wasn't fulfilled in all of it. Like the common denominator was me. And I just realized I really have to change because how I'm seeing myself and how I'm seeing the world is not working. And it was almost like the second surrender in my recovery where I was able to realize that I didn't like myself. And I didn't know how to like myself. And that was really hard to admit. And so I kind of went on a journey of more self-development, which has taken me on many different legs and chapters. Um, but I, I think at the essence of it, it was looking at the story that I was making up about myself and really uncovering those core beliefs that weren't serving me anymore. And that really, I needed people. Like I needed a team, to be honest, to, to help me dig out of that hole. Cause I was a, I showed up as a total victim in my life. I blamed other people for my circumstances and, and the world as being a tough, challenging place. And I did not know how to take responsibility for my own happiness and fulfillment. And it was painful to say that, to realize that, to own that I was, you know, I had to mourn the loss of the idea that someone was going to come and fix it for me. And I had to let go of that. And that was very painful because that's what I wanted. I wanted someone to come in and wave a magic wand and make me feel better. And I, it wasn't happening. I, I think it's important to, to call out that you, there was a moment, as there would be in any of our lives, but we don't talk about this very often. And, and what I'm what's emerging right now as you talk is I'm hearing there was this moment when you had to tell yourself the truth. Ugh, very, very true. Yes. And it was painful, quite painful, I'm sure. Yeah, because I had been in denial, you know, like and and that was a protection thing. If I blamed you, then I could feel better about me. Right. If I blamed the world, then I could feel safe for me. And it worked until it stopped working. And I feel like that's a that's something we all have to face. We all have these things that motivate us and these thoughts and beliefs, these sort of inner saboteurs. So so question, you yeah. said it worked until it stopped working. Looking back and knowing what you know now, mm -hmm. did it ever really work or was that just an illusion? Was it a Band-Aid? It was a Band-Aid. It was a protection thing that I created when I was young. You know, if I'm, if I'm a pleaser, then I'll have people, you know, people will be sort of nice to me. If I'm a victim, then I'll get some attention, even if it's bad attention. You know, there's all these ways that I was showing up, that, but they were a Band-Aid. And it wasn't until I started deconstructing and scrapping that and starting to look at who did I even want to be? Who was I going to allow myself to be? Um, and it started as simply as, you know, someone, someone that I now call a great mentor of mine 
he he just I had a coffee with him and he he just pointed out and he mirrored back. He actually did, you know, good coaching and he showed me how I was showing up to him, you know, and he told me the language I was using, which was self-deprecating. Right. And he just mirrored back and he showed me how I was presenting to the world. And, and it was kind of ugly. Well, how you were presenting to the world, but also how you were treating yourself. And that's at the core of it, right? That I didn't believe I was worthy of something better. When when and you got when you got like stop when you realized okay, I've been lying to myself, and you decided yeah. to tell yourself the truth. What was? I mean, I'm sure there were lots of truths because I I walked this path, and I know there were lots of truths. Mm. But in that incident, in that moment, what was the number one truth? that you had to get real with yourself about to begin to turn your life around? The first one that comes up, I mean, there, I think there's many, but the first one that comes up is no one's going to do it before you. Say that again, Jeremy, please. The real truth is that that no one is going to do it for me. No one's going to come on, you know, night in shining armor and rescue me. And even if we have the illusion of that occasionally, which we do, you know, Mm -hmm. we've all been in situations where we felt like briefly somebody rescued us because there's lots of there's lots of um, codependent people out there that want need somebody to rescue. And Mm -hmm. for a period of time, they will do that. And it looks like it's happening, Um, but it's always it's always a bandaid and it's always temporary Mm -hmm. and oftentimes leaves us worse than what we were before they rescued us. Yeah. And that speaks to a whole lot of, you know, relationship patterns and dynamics that just don't really work. So in in the moment that you realize nobody's going to come and rescue me, Mm -hmm. what what were you feeling? If you, if you drop down into your body and recreate that for a moment, what, what were you feeling in that moment when you said, nobody's going to come rescue me? Oh, God. Like, that that was a really hard one because it was like, shit, like, this isn't, this is going to be hard. And I also have shame and I'm embarrassed. And how am I going to do this? And I'm so lost and and just not knowing you know, what was going to be next, because I didn't know how to care about myself. It was painful. It was, it was, I didn't want to show that to anyone. And this person, you know, had just seen it. Can you speak about the shame? That's such a big thing that we all carry in our community. I mean, it, it happens in the world at large, but I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not doing a podcast for the world at large. I'm doing a podcast for GBTQ men. What, and, and we've got a heavy dose of, of that. What, um, t- help, help me un- unpack the shame. I think the first part of it is just acknowledging that it's there. I think that being able to say, I don't feel good and I'm scared because I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to show up for myself in life, you know, admitting that like that, that's, and I feel a lot of emotion now sharing that because I don't, I don't want to share that with you (laughs) because I had shame about being vulnerable. You know, I had shame about being gay. I had shame about um, not knowing how to do this thing called life. 
wishing that I had had the instruction manual that everyone else seemed to have and, you know, how to be healthy in relationships with myself and others. So just being able to admit that, that was hard. And I think the impact that it had on me was, you know, like I was always trying to be perfect and I was always trying to please others and, and, be, you know, perform in a, a way that I thought I needed to perform. Well, in order to get the validation that you so deeply needed. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah. So once you got honest with yourself, nobody's coming to rescue me. This is going to be hard. I don't know what to do. What was your first step after you got real and told yourself the truth? What was the first action step you took? I feel like it's a bit blurry because at this time in my life, when I came back from that trip is when I kind of fell into coaching as a volunteer thing. And I, I guess that was a step, you know, I signed up for it. So I didn't even know what I was getting myself into, but I knew it was around working in community and, and self-development. And so I just, I didn't realize that like part of my finding a purpose was going to involve a lot of healing myself I don't know if you also have that experience. I'm sure you do. But the more that we want to show up for others, we learn how to show up for ourselves in the process. And so I think it was just being open. Probably that first step was just being open to what's the next right thing that will actually benefit me. And in that moment, it was a training on how to show up for others, which inspired me to go do more training, more in-depth training, where I was surrounded by people that impressed me to you know umpteenth degree and i felt um not adequate to be next to them with that imposter syndrome but i kept showing up because i started learning this is what i learned that it's not about just being good at something or not regardless of what it is that there's these learning stages i never understood i didn't know that you you know you have this unconscious incompetence And then you move into conscious incompetence where you know that you suck at things (laughs) and that it's okay to be there. Because I think I would get there and then I would quit everything. And then from there, you can move up into that conscious competence. When you moved into that space where you felt like you wanted to quit everything, what was coming up for you in that moment that made you want to quit? Mm. Oh, it's just, it's all connected it's just connecting to that shame again. It's, um, I, I'm not good enough. I don't, I don't look good doing this. I'm not going to be good. And it's just not going to happen for me. And again, that was that victim mindset that that's my default thinking sometimes. And I have to learn to overcome that. And in those moments that, that I think that next thing I did was I was willing to hear from others that I could be wrong. And that maybe how I see myself, it doesn't have to be how I continue to see myself. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. That, that bears, that's worth repeating, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it doesn't have to be how I continue to see myself and treat myself. Oh, and that was really hard. Because when you don't know how to love yourself, And people are like, I love you and you're going to be great at this. And you don't believe it yet in your core, but you're hearing it. Oof. Even now, just like that championing 
I think that so many queer people need more championing. <sighs> Especially if you just if you're carrying around so much baggage. Be with that energy for a moment, Jeremy. Mm -hmm. Right there. Be with that for a moment. You dropped into that space. Just feel it. Just breathe into it and feel it. Mm. That's been my biggest, biggest gift is like a team of people that are like, we know you don't feel like it, but you've got this. You know, is there any part of that that was hard to receive? Oh, completely. And I've had that experience numerous times. I had an amazing moving experience in the men's group with all straight men. And I was getting honest again about what, how I was showing up in relationships wasn't working. And I was so upset and I was so tired of, of having this type of thinking and I was just wanting to be rid of it. And I was just crying my eyes out in this group of straight men and they all got up and they just held me in this giant group hug. And just, I just sobbed, you know, and they just said, you are doing so great. And it's moments like that. It's like those moments where (laughs) I allowed myself to be seen, you know, to be vulnerable, to be, to be broken in front of others. Cause that, that shit is brave. I look back, I, I know that now, like that's actually what's allowed me to climb out of that darkness is being brave enough to show others that it's not working. Well, and you have just completely validated or or maybe invalidated the fact that so many people believe that vulnerability is a weakness. Mm. I don't believe that for a minute. And your story just completely clearly s- demonstrates that it takes an insane amount of bravery, courage, and strength to truly step into our vulnerability. It mm-hmm. is the opposite of weakness. Yeah. You know, you, and- I want to. I want also kind of want to call out that there's this double-edged thing going on. When you mm-hmm. were in that space, you were describing how wonderful it was for these people to champion you. Mm-hmm. And simultaneously, how hard it was to receive that. They're going on at the same exact time. And there's a point where we have to make a choice. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it, too. Like, having the choice, because the default thinking wants to tell me I don't. and that I don't deserve not, this. I don't deserve this. And it it is a choice. And I think that that's also something that I've, I really feel like I'm harnessing and I can't say harness because it's ongoing, but that I have a choice in those moments because the default thinking will always come up and I have a choice in that moment to allow it to take over or not. And to try something different that also might be, you know, really scary, but I want to try, you know. You just said something I think that's really, really profound, and that is the default will always come up. You know, I listen to people every day that think there's going to be this time when they get on the other side of it. No. You know, one of these, I'm going to arrive. And I keep telling anybody and everybody that will listen, there's no destiny. There's no destination here. You will not arrive. 
it's a journey and the journey you're on the journey till your last fucking breath <laughs> and thank god because what would you do if there was no journey yeah there'd be no reason to be here but you just said something really powerful and that is it's a process you said i'm harnessing mm-hmm. not harnessed but harnessing and and the default always does come out to come out <laughs> no matter how old or how much work you've done or how much of life you've experienced that's hardwired in us it's never going to go away mm-hmm. we can't depend on that we can't decide one of these days i'll be free of this no you have to be vigilant and you have to step in when the default pops up you know when the computer defaults to something, you just go into the settings and you change it to what you want it to be. And I actually would like to highlight that because I want your listeners to hear that, you know, because it sounds like, oh, no, the default never goes away. But what I think I've learned is that the default shows up and then I can even have moments of just laughing at, oh, <laughs> that's old. Like, I'm not going to act on that old belief anymore, you know, and it, and it's a, it still comes. But then it's a moment of, oh, I just can choose something different. And it can be as easy as that sometimes. I love it. Sometimes you're right. Every yeah. situation is different. Sometimes it kicks our ass. Yeah. But yeah. you, with practice, you get to where you can choose the custom settings every time. We don't ever have yeah. to go to the default. It's always there, but we don't ever have to choose the default. And keep upgrading the software. Like you got to keep adding more tools to the toolbox. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Wow. Because I can't I can't solve the next problem based on the old thinking. I have to keep getting new upgrades. So let's fast forward present day. Mm. You've talked about this history of not being good enough, lack of self-worth, lack of self-esteem, lack of um self-love. Where are you today in, in all of that? I worked with a coach for a year and a half, this wonderful woman in New York. And she told me in my sessions often that I was just, she was noticing I was always trying to come up to zero. And I like the way that you just said, it kind of reminds me that like, I'm, I'm above zero. I'm getting to go above now and explore what is that like? And it's so nice because I'm not always in like survival mode anymore. <laughs> And where am I now is um, it's all creation. It's all, everything gets to be brand new and exciting. Um, You know, and that speaks to how I'm showing up for myself. Um, I I like myself a lot these days and I I feel good about who I am and who I've become. and, and, And I also stop apologizing for parts of myself. So personally, feels great in my relationships i (laughs) i'm a different human i don't understand how i'm able to do what i'm doing um, in relationships and to take responsibility for my reactions and to admit that i'm wrong and not need to be right and need to be a victim and need to blame others like i powerfully show up in relationships even when i make mistakes and and in my career it's like now i get to have this calling and purpose to support other queer people in the groups that I lead, um, in my executive coaching, where I get to support people tapping into emotions and knowing that you can be whoever you're supposed to be. You know, I, I also get to 
work with corporations that allow me to support their queer leaders to help them develop themselves so that they can stop hiding themselves in the workplace. You know, it's and it's all connected to the journey that I've been on. And my podcast used to be called The Journey to Worthy. And that's what we're all on. We're all on a journey to worthy, right? Absolutely. So it's all it's all exciting now. Jeremy, I want to reflect back to you. In these last few moments, you just really celebrated yourself. Mm-hmm. You championed yourself. Mm-hmm. I feel really blessed to have been able to be present for that. I appreciate you acknowledging that because that did not used to happen. You know, and I had I had someone near back recently. He's like, I really love how you are dedicated to loving yourself. And I think that's the journey that I want to continue and I want for others. You know, when, when you just told the story, your voice inflection, your energy, it was I it was just like I just wanted to like lay on in the, like you know, you lay on the sand and on the in the beach and, and let the sun warm your body. I just wanted to just bask in that energy that you were you were emitting because it was absolutely gorgeous. Mm. And I I just want to acknowledge you for you've come a long way in a short time. Mm. I know it may not feel that way to you, but you know, you just said you're in your upper 30s, and we both know lots of men that are nowhere near what you're describing right now. Yeah. And not to compare, but to just acknowledge, you know. You have found a place that some people will live their life out and die and never experience what you're experiencing right now. There's just so much to be grateful for. Your your story is, it's a beautiful story. Your celebration was um, absolutely the best part Mm. of the story. I love the way, you know, I I would, I would love it if you and I are both in this together in this field, if we could bring the people we work with to that place that I just saw you get to be in. Hmm. I I really appreciate that because that, that has been just that reflection on, wow, that's where I am now. It's just like, I did not know how to do that for myself, you know, and and I really appreciate the, yeah, that mirroring back because it is something like, wow, I do get to be really grateful for this. And when I remember to be really grateful, you know, and I, and instead of comparing myself to those that I think are ahead of me and where I think I should be, and I actually just look back at where I've been and where I've come from and how much I've accomplished and how I feel. Oh, wow. It's just, I'm rich with you know self-awareness and you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now Mm. yeah yes Mm -hmm. yeah well um what if you could drop one wisdom bomb on the listener oh no before i say that before i ask that you know, I, I, something else I wanted to just share because this was very, very powerful and meaningful media. I was I was working 
uh, three or four years ago, or uh, yeah, something like that, two years ago, with, uh, of all things, a marketing person. And the marketing, this this was just like, wow, who would have ever thought this would, would have come out of a marketing person's mouth? But the man said to me, the pers- the people that you can most powerfully serve mm. will be the people that share the same wound. Mm. And I just got it. I really got it when he said that. And I can see that's where you are. You are in that place where you're serving people that share your greatest wound. And that's where you're going to be able to do the the brightest work. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I agree with that. I have no doubt that you're going to change lots of lives. Thank you. No doubt. Thank you. So back to my 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 question. <laughs> what's what's the the number one wisdom bomb you can drop on the listener right now based on your story and everything you've shared yeah people who share that that wound that same wound what's the wisdom bomb i think it's something around if you're just not happy and fulfilled and you know that something is off or wrong if you could just give yourself the permission to admit that your way might not be working and to let go of needing to get it right and give yourself permission to be vulnerable and admit that you need to try something new. Because I think that at that moment, something will arrive, something will appear in front of you, something new, something different, a new way of of looking at the world. But you have to admit that your way is not working first. I agree. When you told the story, that's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. But when you talked about finally telling yourself the truth, what I'm doing is not working. Mm -hmm. Then as you progress through the story, everything pointed to the universe just showed up and supported you. Mm -hmm. When you told the truth, you got out of your own friggin' way. And in that moment, the universe could step in. The universe can't do much when we're completely blocking the road. Yeah. But when you got real with yourself and told the truth, you move the blockades out of the way and boom, the universe came right in and started supporting you. You said, I ended up in this training. I don't even know what got me there or why I got there. And totally. it seemed to be exactly what I what I needed. I have a similar experience. Mm-hmm. Just ended up in something that I didn't even know why I was there, how I got there. And it changed my life forever. Because the opposite is, you know, resisting that change. And and whatever you resist persists, they say. Yeah. We're stuck with it. We're stuck with it. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. How about some rapid fire questions? Let's do it. Are you ready? Yeah. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see if you're ready. Yeah. Well, and you may have already answered this question, but maybe you've got another another take on this. In your lifetime, what has been the hardest part of being a gay man? My own internal belief that I need to be a certain way. Got it. 
you nailed that one. Okay, beautiful. <laughs> Many years from now, you are a ghost at your own funeral. You have died. You are at your funeral. And there is a variety of your closest, nearest, dearest gay men, GBTQ men friends at your funeral. What do you hope that they will say about you? I know what they would say. They would say, thank God he challenged me to be better. I love it. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you don't hope, you know. Wow. Oh, yeah. I love that, Jeremy. And final question, what matters most to you and why? It's just all about love. It's just love because um, if I allow myself to be loved, I am going to learn so much about myself and others. And the more I show up to love others, the more fulfilled I am in life. So I just want to point out when you just said it's all about love, mm. I can really feel that. I feel it now. <laughs> you kind of you kind of jumped away from it a little bit because that's mm. a little bit of an uncomfortable place to be, but I could really feel that coming off of you. It wasn't mm-hmm. just words, I could feel it. Mm-hmm. And I love that. It's a nice reflection because we get so busy with life and success and money. And I love that the, the, the real true answer was love. It's yeah. just nice to know that. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, there's one thing I want to leave you with before we wrap up. And that is just to tell you that in my eyes, Jeremy, you are indeed an authentic gay man. Mm, thank you. I wear that with pride. I'm, I'm very, I'm I'm very honored to to know you and to have been able to have this conversation with you. Thank you for bringing your your real vulnerable self to the table and sharing with me and my audience. Mm. It's been a pleasure. And I, you, I really do appreciate that our connection so far and getting to know you more and just doing the work that you're doing because you're you're being authentic and real and putting yourself out there and offering information to people and stories and emotions so that they can have that. And I just, I really commend you for doing that. Please keep doing this great work you're doing. Thank you, Jeremy. It is a process. It is a journey. <laughs> you know, there are times when I, you know, don't, don't feel, you know, like once again, that whole arrived thing. And, and like I said, that's probably a good thing. I, I feel like I'm, I'm on a good track and there's, there's more. Yes. There's more. Okay. So, well, this has been a complete pleasure. Thank you so much. And I will tell you right now, there will be more opportunities for you to come back. I'm doing group talks oh, yes. now and would love to include you in one of those. We just need to find the one that's right for you. Absolutely. Sign me up.